Welcome back to Revival Carriers, Scott Mormon. He is one of my absolute heroes. We have been friends for a long time. Whenever I started Found Ministries, which is the other ministry that I direct aside from Revival Carriers, he was the one that helped us get started. He was the one who sowed the very first financial seed into Found Ministries. And now in Revival Carriers, he has been one of my greatest encouragers. And he, he prays for me every single day for my family. And man, he is... I, I always tell people whenever we're going to have a conversation with Scott, I said, be prepared because it's like talking to a fire hose because Scott has so much life experience, so much passion for the Lord. And you have to kind of pay attention to what he's saying because he'll throw things out there that are just these mind blowing revelations about the Lord and he'll just throw them, throw them out there. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. And he just keeps going with more. And he just more and more revelation and more and more words of the Lord. They just keep on hitting you over and over and over again. And it is absolutely powerful and amazing. And in this interview, we go through a whole, we go through his story like we always do with new people that we interview. We talk about revival. We talk about street ministry. This guy, Scott, you, you will hear some of his testimonies. I'm not going to go really deep into it. But he goes out six days a week for several hours hours every single day doing street ministry and God has used him and he's been doing it for decades, truly decades, just serving the Lord. He has ministries in Costa Rica and Italy and he has been all over the place and God uses him so much. So you're going to really enjoy this interview. It's a, it's just awesome. I know I say they're all good, but this one is really, really good. And also the Threads of Revival live course Man, we have a good group of students. We only have two classes left. Tomorrow is our next class. And then one more class after that, and it is done. And after that, we're going to be doing the editing and preparing it to launch it as an e-course so that if you missed the live one, you can actually get onto our website, revivalcarriers.com, and you can do the e-course on there. And there will be little extra things as well, extra materials. It's going to be awesome. So thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy Scott Mormon. Awesome. Okay. Well, welcome Scott to the Revival Carriers podcast. We're so excited to have you. And uh, the way that we start these interviews is usually just by asking you if you just share your story with all the listeners and watchers, who you are, where you came from, how how you came to the Lord, whatever whatever's on your heart to share. Okay. Well, let me briefly, I, uh, the Lord touched me. Um, uh, to not get a lot into it because it's so long in that air, but the Lord actually got a hold of me before I went to prison. And I did, I, I was very unaware of what was going on, but the Lord, now that I look back, I see the sovereign foundations. And um, I was actually took a, an elderly lady to church and, and uh, she used that as an opportunity to witness to me. Now at that time, I never had been presented really with, the gospel to that extent. I knew God was God. Um, just, people ask that. I did know that. I just associated God with church and good. I didn't understand salvation to say that. But she witnessed to me. And after that, wasn't three weeks later, I was under, believe it or not, a million and $250,000 bond in the old Dallas County Jail. And I was facing, I mean, many armed robberies. Now, understand, I had never, I, now, don't get me wrong, committed a lot of crimes, but a grace or mercy was lifted off of me when, at that point, I wouldn't say I rejected the gospel because I believed it as far as what she was saying. But 
but I was not willing to commit to that whatsoever. And God was fixing to start putting put me in check over the next several years to get a hold of me. I spent several years after that in, in a, a maximum security prison here in Texas, a Ferguson unit. And uh, to, to not get a lot in that didn't just basically caught 12 cases the first year I was there. So that'll tell you I was not there seeking help and, and rehabilitation, but got out after three years, um, ended up, was faced with a decision. When I say faced with a decision, I knew in my head, I had so many law agencies after me that I knew it was either get my life right or prison, but I did not associate the gospel with that at the time. But I'm just going through that battle within that only God knows a lot of time when he starts getting our attention. Yeah. With that, I was I had made a decision that I was going to probably go back into a lifestyle of crime due to the fact that now I've met so many people. You knew they weren't police. You did time with them. And I had them getting a hold of me immediately. And a lot of it because of, of choices I made in prison in gangs and things like that. At that time, I was actually walking down. And I and I, and again, I, there's so much in that. I don't want to take a lot of time with that. But I had a hit put out of me on the penitent in the penitentiary by a Hispanic gang called El Paso, Texas, which was kind of a sidekick of the Mexican mafia. When that happened, usually when there's a hit put out of me, you're going to get hit. Well, I had a warden that would not move me, uh, kept me in that prison. He was a uh, in, mainly because of. He was and not just because he was a black warden. He was actually a very good warden. He knew how to deal with us. But the fact that um, I was involved with a lot of white gangs and stuff like that, I, I I crossed him, to say the least. And he left me there knowing that, um, you know, that they were going to hit me and stuff. Wow. And usually they move you. But I made a promise to God in there. And, and when I say I made a promise, I, you got to understand, we're not talking about what we would understand as a promise now. It would be, to me, that was like, I'm going to go to church and try to be good. There was no concept of really sanctification, regeneration, anything like that. But I made a promise, and I said, if you can get me out of this alive, when and actually that hit was put out on me, okay? And, it, and they did not succeed, but in lockdown, I remember my mother telling me, Scott, there's got to be a plan for your life, because I had just trouble after trouble growing up and would always get through it and stuff that came to my memory. And I said, God, if you, if you will get me out of here alive, and I still had about a year and a half to, to do it that time. I said, I'll, you know, again, my, wasn't the call of God in my head. It was, I'll get right with you, whatever that meant at me at that time. And that was probably to go to church and, and just kind of say, thank you. Anyhow, when I got out, I, I, I remembered that. And so I was kind of going to catch 22. Then my neighbor came out uh, and actually out of nowhere and witnessed to me. Now, he was not into anything. This was in Plano. It was not with a bunch of people that were involved with that type of world. So when that happened, I recalled when I first got locked up and that lady witnessed to me. And he invited me to church um, here in Plano, Texas. And I went there. And at that times when the Lord really started working on me and probably the church, it would be it was a similar to God church. But I would I would if you had to face it. It was more, I would say, a non-denominational type approach. I, I didn't 
um, wasn't ever against the charismatic hostel. I've seen that actually before in the church I went through with the elderly lady. Um, it scared me because the lady was prophesying and, and of course I was a heroin addict at that time. So I'm scared that she's going to call me out. And uh, I knew something was real there, but it scared me at that time. This church was more laid back than that. It was definitely a symbol of God, um, but they really loved me. And at that time, I was so institutionalized, Alan, I actually tried to push them away from me. When I say that, their love was not something I could associate reality with, but God was using it. And what I mean by that is, I always associated anytime someone's wanting to get close to you or something like that, there's always something they want. Hmm. So, but I was actually, what I was doing in short was sabotaging that situation. But when they did not allow that, and it's not, I think they just did what they were doing. And they, they, they said, you know, we're not concerned about this. I told them I actually had escaped the halfway house at that time. I was, I was fixing to be wanted again. And I told them, I said, I had done this and this is what I've done. And actually the youth pastor at the time said, I remember you. He said, because it hit it the, back then it was newspapers. And he said, I remember reading about when they, they busted you. And they had me understand for 21 armed robberies. So we're talking about it was on the back then crime stoppers had just started. So it was all on the news back in the back yeah. in the days we had news and stuff. So but they so anyway, it was a big deal. It, it went when I got caught. Okay, down in Dallas. When he said that to me, it floored me. He said, I'm not concerned. And me telling him that the, my testimony or what I was wanting for was a way to, to push him back, if that makes sense. It was so extreme, but he, he didn't. He just said, look, he said, I, I want you to know that the Lord loves you and that he cares for you. At that point, I seen something in him, which was my brother-in-law, Randy Speed at that time um, that got my attention. And I said, you know, I want this. I want what he's got if it's real. And at that point, I made a commitment to the Lord. And that was in 1988. Matter of fact, my 33 years of, of was up this, this year um, of saying yes to the Lord. It was never a question to me about a calling. I read the Bible and I believed it. I mean, when I mean I said I believed it, I, 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 and I guess what got my attention was a lot of the Bible characters and their faults and failures. So when I read that, I automatically just assumed that was natural Christianity. And he was, he had a gift of evangelism was, and was very on fire for his faith to say the least. So I seen it modeled with him. But when I read that word, I just said, here I am, Lord. Mm. You know, I just, and again, a lot of it, I look back. But it was just such a God taking me and doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness, and, and directed me. Um, I tell people, Alan, that um, I believe God levels with us his calling and purpose according to also our character defects. Hmm. And a lot of people hear that and say, what do you mean? I believe because of the extremity of my lifestyle that God graciously called me to do what I do now, but it also is my savior. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about though being that focused on what I do is what keeps me focused on him. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Where another person could maybe work a, a, a job and that's their ministry. He knew that I needed this to keep me in check, if that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And so over the years, I've grown in the grace of that. At first, it was more like I think a lot of us that come from my past, it's more of a uh, perimeter type relationship that keeps us in check. But as we grow in that, and we learn the mercy and grace of God. We mature in that to just realize, you know, truly the song Amazing Grace. Yeah. So anyway, well, I went into ministry right then. And uh, immediately, no one had to tell me. Um, you were probably, um, how old were you in 89? You were. I was were, four. Okay. You were four. And you were in an hour, matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, were you living in Allen at that time? Uh, we were in Plano actually at that time. Okay. okay. With that time, um, I immediately just started witnessing. I'd go out and uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, the, um, uh, I'd actually, believe it or not, I remember running in at that time. There was not a lot of Hispanics, but you'd find some that couldn't speak English. And I just start speaking tongues to them, hoping they'd understand. Where I went, Alan, I would tell people about the Lord. I would walk around. I'd walk around in my apartment complex. They actually had the Mormon uh, religion was headquartered in them particular apartments over off of Independence. I believe it was in 15th wow. in that area. And they would come over. And, of course, I would study and because I knew they you, you had to. They knew they knew their doctrine and knew it well. So I was always in a place where I was evangelizing. We started a street ministry team at that time. Um, and I mean, led thousands of teenagers to the Lord over about a three year period and stuff. And um, also at that time, you were too young to remember, but Satanism became a fad at first with a lot of these kids, but then escalated with a lot of them. And that was a big deal in Allen. That's the reason I, I said that, because we would we would literally find out from leading so many teenagers to the Lord, teenagers would tell us, hey, they're doing this out there. They're doing this. And, and we would actually go in with a group of us. And most of them being, I would say, probably 20% of us were adults. I was 26 at the time. But most of them were uh, teenagers that had gotten saved. And stuff. Now, the teenagers would not go into the areas where we would find out the Satanism was, but we would just hit anywhere. Clark Stadium was big. Parking lots were big, the skaters and stuff. So pretty much that's what moved me into, um, at that time, uh, evangelism and stuff. And so. Yeah, you anyway, also you also got a. a right there and let you. Uh, that, yeah. that was years. That was in 89, 90 and 91 in stuff. Well, yeah. And so you, you also got like a doctorate degree at some point in there, right? Yes. And I didn't go back to what happened is, okay. I fell after three years. Okay. Very short time, um, devastated me. Okay. Because at that point, addiction was not something that was, it was dealt with, but a lot of times, especially more your charismatic and Pentecostal circles, and I don't say this in any fault of theirs. Everyone was evolving in this thing. A lot of times it was, it was, you know, you get saved and you 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 read that word, and and it was more difficult than that for me and stuff. And um, what happened is, is when I fell, it was for three months. 
I went to my parole officer and told her, I said, look, I, I said, I was on probation and parole because I had so many charges. And I said, look, I said, you know, I fell and, and they so respected it, but a lot of them had knew what I was doing for three years and they knew a lot more. I luckily had a probation officer that knew a lot about recovery. Matter mm. of fact, now that I think about it and, and he was able to say, Hey, Scott, you know, you need to get healing and things like that. And so, so anyhow, that, actually led me to Georgia. Now, what was interesting, my pastor about probably six months before I fell told me, Scott, I think you need to go to Georgia and, 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 and learn a ministry down there from a prison minister. And he led to the Lord, a voice in the wilderness, Johnny Moffat, big prison minister here in this area, or really all over the United States. And of course, I, I couldn't even connect that. I, I mean, it was like, to me, going there was like going you know, just across the world and stuff. So I told him, no, there's no way. And a lot of it, just the insecurity, et cetera, et cetera. But actually what's interesting, God got me there because he wanted me in Georgia for the next 20 years and stuff like that. And that's where I ended up uh, going there. It shut down that particular little, uh, he had like a regeneration program there. It shut down almost immediately. And I stayed there, I actually volunteered and stayed for a couple months and helped his brother there. And I met uh, another minister down there that ran a boy's home and stuff. So that's that's what led me into the degree and stuff. At first, I started out just working with the boys and stuff like that. But as it, it grew and stuff, and I think I had told you this, um, that a lot of my mentality was a lot that you come with in this area, the bigger, the better. Yeah. You know, and so I automatically, whatever I did, I always thought, well, you know, if you got six, you need 12. And, and at the time, I look back now, but then I didn't understand the drive of that. Um, I didn't understand the performance, the works, the um, um, you validate yourself by what is in front of you and stuff. And so if you got six, if you're trying to do that, you're going to want more because we can't really ever validate our relationship with God by what we do. It's by who he is. Hmm. And of course, a lot of this was foreign to me, you know, because coming from such a, a, a hard past, you do bad, you're bad. So you do good, you're good. So you're, you're, you're constantly on a treadmill of performance and stuff like that. Anyhow, I got there and, and, and the place grew. We went from, I think, about six or eight young men to like 30 to 40, like quickly and stuff, but it was never enough. Okay. We ended up, um, it ended up getting about probably about 70 something juveniles. So this was a working ranch. So, I mean, they lived there sometimes two or three, five years and stuff. They were taken out of their homes a lot of times. And a lot of them came from the department of juvenile justice and stuff. So with that, as I moved up, to be an administrator, which is what I was moving into that position, you had to have a master's um, in some sort of uh, counseling field, et cetera. So that's what actually uh, led me into school and stuff. And, and I want to say this because even the drive then for school, it was, it was like I'm trying to get a need met from that. Yeah. And stuff. And you're talking about in the 90s here. So you're talking about I had the first 10 years of me really getting out of the penitentiary and stuff. So what happened is I excelled quickly in the school. Uh, 
and stuff like that. Got my master's. Of course, the state of Georgia has to, it's a licensed facility because I was dealing with juveniles. You know, they approved the, the accreditation of it, et cetera, et cetera. And, but then it wasn't enough. So I, I, you know, I knew I had two years. Let me go ahead and push it out in a PhD, if you get me. Now, again, I look back with hindsight and say a lot of this. I was clueless, Alan, uh, of a lot of the things that, that drove me and stuff like that. God was still using it, but a lot at first, I really seen ministry as what I was doing for others and stuff. I didn't realize God had me right where he wanted me. And he was, he was using that love for that, but in his grace and mercy was coming in and just chiseling and chiseling and chiseling to bring me to a place that he needed to get me and stuff like that. So that's where I got the degree in that. Now, what started breaking free in 2000 was I seen a great need and, and understand no, no condemnation or that would be the right word, no fault upon that facility. But when you're dealing with juveniles, I had 30 something staff. You had to have nurses, counselors, doctors, you name it. When you're dealing with juveniles, you have to, it's almost impossible unless you've got some big denomination or something supporting it. And it, it ran, believe it or not, about $185,000 a month budget. Okay. Now you would think we were all making it, it. When you start dealing that type of care, it was also a technical college. We had developed it and made it into that. So we were teaching trades. It was a big setup. Okay. With that, I always, I always had a, a problem in my heart, not so much with the facility, but when people would call with no money hmm. and stuff, then what happened is, as I was growing in relationship with these young men over the years, they would leave a lot of them at 18 years old and stuff because, you know, they wanted out of care and stuff. Well, then they would call back and want to come back and they couldn't. And the reason they couldn't, because it was a licensed facility, so you couldn't mix people from the state that's been placed there with like a private placement, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so with that, that's what kind of brought me into breaking free. And I really felt a lot of convictions. A lot of my um, mentors I study under, such as yourself, like Mueller, and these ones that I hear you mention a lot, kind of helped really develop a lot of um, my philosophy or belief of ministry. And was and at that time, and, and at that time, I really felt the Lord speak to my heart. He says, Scott, if you'll take care of my children, I'll take care of yours and stuff. With that, also, he told me that to never charge. Now, understand, and you know that. I mean, I can make a, 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 a good living by just counseling. But he told me, he says, Scott, never hmm. charge for anything that's got to do with the gospel. Now, listen, I don't believe that people that do charge are wrong. Okay? I believe God is making a healthy perimeter around me that also uh, counteracts my character defects. Okay. Business is second nature to me. Um, I mean, I started my first business at, at really 17 years old and stuff. So with that, he's using things that I've been so easily drawn into and, and, and not compromising the gospel. Hear me out. I'm talking about still bringing the gospel, but looking for security 
in business with that, which by not by sticking to that and not charging, I had to learn to lean on him. Yeah. He's broken me of probably most of my insecurities and still is and fears by that commitment I made. Because when I have to trust him, I can't get ahead of him. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm, I'm a master because of my character defects and a lot of the belief systems that were put in here. And with the same gift you got, where you get that vision and stuff. Hold on once. Are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. We're still here. Let me, let me plug in my, there we go. I'm, anyway, with um, my, um, excuse me, it's going to mess the camera up here a little bit. Um, That's all right. With um, my, character defects there what would happen is and again with vision it's so easy to get ahead of god and stuff so by him doing that i have to lean on so i see these things that he's developing that's why i always say because a lot of people do charge and that's hey everyone's got to find their place of what the, the lord spoke to them yeah and stuff so he, he, he's put them around me to keep me from getting ahead of him. I mean, I, I, you can't build if you don't have the money to build. So I have to trust him. Now, also, I believe it's given me probably one of the greatest gifts and that, I, that me and you talk about a lot and stuff. And I hear with a lot of your, your different series that you do on, on people we live into, and that's prayer. Yeah. It's, it had to teach me prayer like nothing else. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm very thankful for because again, um, it keeps me in the place that I feel I can operate best in the Holy spirit. And, yeah. And you, you recently, the Lord started moving on you with a spirit of intercession. You, and we've talked about that quite a bit. Can you share about that and how, uh, how God's moved in you in that way, but also the the difference that that has that that has made in your life or in in your ministry, which I want to get into your ministry now pretty soon. But can you just share about the spirit of intercession? Absolutely, and I think we talked about that recently. I cried out to the Lord, and what I what I was finding out, especially with, and you know this from from traveling so much and and in your mission work, because of COVID, um, travel is very difficult now. Bottom line. So I, I would have stayed, and I think your love for the foreign field, too, I think I could speak for both of us, but mm-hmm. I would have never came back from Costa Rica if I didn't have to. I loved it. I loved the community. I loved the, the poor. I loved being in that and stuff. But because of COVID, I couldn't uh, pop over to Panama and, and restamp my passport for a day and come back and get another 90 and yeah. – um, uh, Costa Rica. So with it, it was God bringing me back here. Well, with that, the doctors are not there. You know that from your work uh, in Panama. So with it, it was pushing me in an area of, of prayer, but also God was also bringing me back here, showing me such a need that I never dreamed was right here in Plano. Yeah. So with it, I started seeing how my hands were tied. Okay, that I can only be in one place and everyone is so about movement now and stuff. It's not like we have a community no more. Or when you're down there and you're in a community that you can operate in, 
that you don't have to worry about all the travel. So I really cried out to the Lord, Alan, and I said, Lord, I, I said, I know. And just studying the scripture, I said, I know that you can give me, teach me to pray, please. And I begged him, not in a way of like, could it be just, Lord, teach me to pray. I believe that I could sit in this room and pray if you will teach me and see answers wherever I pray. And, and I meant that from everything within me. Now, I didn't have a clue because I never really had a gift of intercession prayer, or I would just call it a, a desire to pray like I, I use the word intercession. But with that, all of a sudden, a hunger started being created in me. And I've always had a prayer board and stuff. But I would say, I, in all honesty, of course, when we pray, we're going to see the Lord. But I think my prayer was more routed out of duty than it was just a compelling of, I need to get up, I want to pray and stuff. And that's what changed. With that, what's interesting is I started seeing answers like I, like I had prayed and asked. Matter of fact, and I prayed just this morning, probably for no less than probably probably 12 different people just this morning, okay, out in the streets, police officer too. I mean, not just uh, people on the streets. I've seen more answers to prayer in that time in the morning than I do on the streets. Now, hear me out. I've seen a lot of answers there, but I started getting calls, okay, and people saying, Scott, were you praying for me? And I said, yes, I was. And so God was encouraging me that he had not only given me this gift, but, but to, to stand in it and, and to, to cherish it. And, and now my, my, and, and, and I get up early, I have to, because if I, if I, once the sun's out, my brain, just there's things happening. You're hearing, well, I tell you just this morning early, I, uh, right out here, a lady, I hear someone crying on the road, believe it or not. Wow. I hear someone moaning. I said, what the heck? You know, and, and, you know, you don't know a lot of times, sometimes that can be a setup. You don't know until right outside my window here. It's a lady that had found a homeless lady wow. and stuff. And I was able to get the police and stuff involved there. But my belief, I say that because at nighttime, I feel that's the time that, that I can, that early in the morning before anything's happening, my brain stays adjusted on, 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 on prayer. And stuff. So I'll get up. But what hits me more than anything, Alan, is I always know that. And, and, and you can see, matter of fact, this is the prayer board. And then I've got a whole thing down here written and stuff. I always think to myself, Lord, I need to get up before the people I'm praying for get up. Hmm. Because I know the battles that a lot of these, I mean, these are a lot of serious battles I'm praying for, whether it's cancer, you name it, COVID, whether it's healing, whether it's sanctification, salvation, whatever. And what I believe is, I said, Lord, I want their names in your lap before they wake up. Wow. And stuff. I don't want them to get up and go through the torment. I want them prayed for as they wake up. So, yes, the Lord moved me into that. And I'll give one quick testimony because I think it's you would, it's stuff that me and you talk about a lot. But I had a situation. This guy's a millionaire now. Okay. Actually the one that bought the farm for me in Costa Rica. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, we got that farm because we found out the girls were there and didn't have a mother. Well, anyway, 
he's got the call of God on his life too, like I've never seen. Okay. But he's just gifted in business. Well, I'm praying for him and, and I really felt the Lord had me pray a commission prayer over him. Okay. Just to, not only for his gifting in the area of finances, that's a give me, but his calling. And I just, I feel like doing this at times. I blew the shofar. I love rolling that shofar as a declaration. Okay. And in my head, I see it as a declaration to God. And I want the devils to hear it, not in a cocky way, but I want that prayer to be just ignited. Does that make sense? And yeah. I don't think it's magical. I don't think it's not. I just think it's, it's, it's a heart thing that I like doing. Anyway, he calls me probably 15 minutes later. I prayed for him. I prayed it and I blew that shofar. He said, Scott, have you been praying for me? I said, absolutely. I said, I just did about 15 minutes ago and I prayed a commission prayer. I said, I believe God is going to give you the gift to keep doing what you're doing in business, but he's called you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, you ain't going to believe what happened. A car, just a truck actually went through the media and hits his daughter, side swaps it right there in Anna, knocks her around. He goes, the guy goes completely through a fence, hits a tree, and and just is on the gas and buries the car two feet in the ground. I said, Rod, I said, go check. I said, I'll bet you it's a seizure. And he said, how did you know? I said, because it's no seizure. I said, many times devils that manifest themselves and people take on the sign of a, a seizure. Mm. I said, that man... A, a demon influenced, however, in that situation, trying to come against that prayer, I just prayed, but God knew. And I said, he wanted to encourage you because several of them, matter of fact, everyone in his family almost got hit by the car in the next two weeks from there. Not that, that extreme. Matter of fact, now that I think about it. But what God was doing with that was showing me the power of prayer like I had never experienced. Never. And stuff, and I'm, and what I'm seeing is, is God do miracles. And I thought about, it. I said, God, it makes sense. I said, in here in the United States, people are always looking for a person. They're always looking for a preacher. They're always looking for the man, the the counselor. And I said, Lord, I said, when I'm back there praying and interceding like that for you, you get the glory. Hmm. I said, it really. A lot of the people, I I would say probably. I'd say 80% don't even know I'm praying for hmm. on that board. Wow. And also the Lord is what through that down. He's purifying my motives for prayer because we like to be noticed. I do. You know, we all, there's a part of us that's a good healthiness. It just, we want to feel valued. But a lot of times when you come from past like mine, we don't realize how much we want to validate by someone noticing us because we were so noticed in a negative way. Does that make sense? So yeah. God's also killing within me something that's very important for me to be able to finish these next years out with him. Yeah. I was, I was listening to a sermon last night and it's this, this Argent, this, this evangelist from Argentina who has this incredibly powerful, powerful ministry. And he was talking about prayer and he was saying that really the big difference between believers who move in the power of God and those who don't. Is he, he was saying the vast majority of Christians, it's like it's like the temple, the Old Testament temple. You know, there were the outer courts, the inner courts, and then there was the, the um, 
holy place and in the holiest of holies. And he said, most Christians, it's not that they're doing anything bad. It's not that they're not saved. He said, but they, they spend their lives reading books or listening to sermons or listening to worship music all day, every day. And th those are good things. And it makes them feel uh, they're pure things. So they, they feel good. They feel purified and they're living a pure life. He said, but very few people go past the outer court and the inner court and go into the holy of holies because in the temple that's where the holy spirit dwelled he dwelled in the in the in the holy of holies and he said most people they never experience the fullness of god or the things that you're talking about because they're always in that those first two levels of just it's, and he didn't say this, but this was my thought is they're almost, they're living off of other people's anointings. They're living, living off of other people's time with God rather than going into the Holy of Holies themselves and spending time, that time with God, spending that time in prayer and seeing that fruit. Absolutely. You know, Alan, since you say that, it reminds me of, I want to say it's Exodus 33, where um, the people, the people, the children of Israel didn't want to get too close to yeah. the tent. And it said that it, that, Moses knew God's ways. The people knew his acts. And a lot of times we want to get close enough to, to, to get that anointing, but we don't want to be in the presence of God where we're just unbiled before him. You said something, you, and you're going to have to say her name correctly. I still to the day can. Jeanne Gunyan. Okay. Can you say Jeanne Gunyan? The book you, oh, you said. Jean, Jean Guyon. Okay, see, you, I'm so far off. <laughs> I got Her, it. I understood it. Well, there's uh, uh, oh shoot, I'll remember in a second. Anyhow, um, there's a minister that's put together her writings and several of them, called Hundred Days in Secret, and also two other contemporaries around that time. And what they're talking about is the is tapping into the presence of God that's within us, the mm -hmm. resurrected power. And, and resting in that and out of our life comes that flow. Gene, Gene Edwards, okay, is the one that puts him books out, but incredible. Changed my life, as you said, on understanding the difference between getting in, into that outer court and getting into just resting. And really when I pray, that's what I'll, I'll pray to. The, the, we got different terminology. I, I call it praying through. Yeah. And when I'm praying and I, I don't, I, I don't like to get into ritual type things, but a lot of times we find what works for us. Okay. And I even change that up because I don't want to get into a routine to get, because we're just so routineish and stuff. But when I pray for them, I got it. I got that little right of fact right here. And these are circles down here with different needs, like six, seven names. And I'll put, and I'll pray until I pray through, but how I learned to do that. I knew it in my head. I'd read some EM I read some of the best books mm -hmm. out there in prayer, not hundreds, but I'd say probably 30 books on prayer throughout the years. But it was understanding Christ in us and tapping into what's already in us, but getting out of here into here. My one of my mentors said taking that that one foot journey, that 12 inch journey down into here. And I think I heard you mention that too. I, I might be wrong, but getting into that spirit man yeah and with that that's where the that prayer when it flows i'll pray until i feel the presence of god flow and i mean it's it's just it's as tangible as we're talking right now when i'm talking it's not something that just you can feel it and, and when I, I rest in that 
I will not quit praying for that situation till I feel the, the authority in that prayer ignited by the resurrected Christ through the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah. And that's when I know the Lord has that prayer. But so many times I, my prayers were up here. And I don't think God didn't honor them. I think, but to the extent, don't get me wrong, but the what I'm talking here is when you start seeing that what you're talking about was just yeah, you it's know. like it's like the difference between asking God to do something and then partnering with him to do it. Yeah, yes. And knowing and when you get into the present, you know, Alan, when you get into the presence, you see he wants to. And I do believe this. There's, you study them scriptures where God moved and healings and signs and wonders and miracles. Okay. There's something about our belief and us knowing and us believing it to be true that's ignited with it. You go listen to all them old saints and stuff. They believed the word of God. They believed God wanted to. And they would build that faith yeah. in the people around them to believe. Yeah. And so yeah. Can you, could you send me maybe a picture or something of that book by Gene Edwards? That way I can sure. post, I'll po post the link in on the podcast right. notes. So some if people want to read it, they can get it. Incredible um, book. I mean, and he's put excerpts from all their different writings in it. Almost it's called hundred days of secrets. You can do it like a devotion, but it's incredible. I would love to read it myself. Some of them when you were mentioning it. Yeah. So, hey, can you tell us about your ministry now? Because I know you're doing so much in Costa Rica and Italy. Can you tell us about that? Well, what's, what's happening, Italy's pretty much, we can't only really travel there. Yeah. Okay? But we've got some people there that caught really the Nigerians that we were ministering to out in the streets and stuff. Really, one thing I always taught them, and we won't go a lot because I want to hit the other, but I told them, I said, and they had nothing. It was the only time I give money to people. Okay. It was a whole different scenario there. And I told him, I said, now you're going to give part of this money to someone else. And when you're when you're that poor, a lot of times it's not that you want to not give, it's survival. Yeah. And so a lot of them are had are practicing them principles. And so they're helping others. And God's blessing them, of course, and stuff like that. These were refugees that came over and, and ended up just getting stuck on the streets because there's no work over in Italy. And so now Costa Rica, the girls are running that. One good thing about me coming back here half the time now, it's it's actually has just grown them in a phenomenal way. And again, them being the girls, and again, they were 18, I think, to four years old when, when we had informally adopted them and stuff like that. We uh, And, of course, I never dreamed they'd be running the ministry down there. Now, it's a working ranch. Um, they feed the poor, a lot of the indigenous, a lot of the nobits you you had the privilege to minister to for years yeah, uh, over in Panama and stuff, but um, just incredible, uh, not to hit a lot, but we had a situation where they actually called us recently and, um, and said, the little girl can't go to school. It's freaking everybody out. And you know how superstitious the Nobi are. Yeah. They took to the, some of the, I call them medicine doctors or whatever, and ended up, um, I talked to my girls and I was here this first time. I've been here and there. And I said, it sounds like it might be a demonic spirit mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And sure enough, I said, let me pray. And I said, because they were going to go over there and it kind of, I mean, I, you got to understand that they know this and they see me but to operate it themselves. And sure enough, uh, they recorded, they didn't record it because the, the, 
dad did, not even there, but before we started praying, it went into a full-blown seizure. And I, mm-hmm. I said, it's demonic. Now, it's interesting. Alan, they loved that situation in mm-hmm. a way. They didn't go in there the way I would have. Yeah, I seated here. But they went in there and loved that family and, and had them all praying and stuff. And that girl was like instantly delivered. She's in school. She's doing good. I mean, if you've seen the look on her, it is like just unbelievable and stuff. But anyway, then we got Costa Rica on the ocean down there, which was actually the son I adopted. And we're just getting it developed. It's in a really, both of them are in narco areas. But this one down here is in controlled narco area. You would know with some of your yeah. Mission trip, what I mean by that. Um, but it's it's so much even poorer than in the mountains. And it's so poor there. So basically, we're using that as a hub to come in and, and reach children and mothers mainly. And we find it then it evolves out from that. And we're using that to get fish back up an hour and a half to the mountains and uh, fish there to that community because it's right on the Pacific and stuff like that now here alan and this completely evolved okay we've got so many resources that we can send people now with the drug and alcohol and stuff like that in it and you almost have to have a facility like we do out in the the sticks to do this okay for one because of covid people are just absolutely shut down and stuff so anytime you start talking about anything to do with homeless or drug addiction and things like that People just get very afraid, okay, because they're high-risk environments, usually. So anyhow, what I've done, I got here, and I I, I knew, I said, Lord, I said, I don't want to come back here that much. I'll be honest with you. A lot of people said, well, you got a problem with Colin County. I said, no. I said, but it's so proper here. I said, I don't operate good in that. I said, I I like the organic type stuff that has attracted both of us to the field so much and stuff. And matter of fact, you just leaving here, understand what I'm talking about. And so I, I just literally was going, no, you know, and then I thought, you know, I knew the work that I do with Hispanic down there. And I, and I always just had a love with Hispanic. So now with so many Hispanic over here, I'm like, Lord, I said, Lord, I don't want to raise up no church. I said, please, you know, don't have me pastor. And I mean, I re- and he said, no, Scott, he says, you're doing what I want you to do here. And I knew right then, and that is to, 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 to minister to children and mothers in need and stuff. Of course, here, Republican state, um, uh, and I am, you know, it, it's not, but there's a real, when you start talking about undocumented uh, workers, but but the gospel, uh, I don't, I can't look at, I, I tell them, I don't care who it is, if they're in need and their children and their mothers, so it, it, when I say proper, there's a proper way things are done here. And when you go against that and stuff, I, I, I'm over here where we're right in the middle of it. Now, what happened is, okay, Alan, I did not understand the homelessness that had evolved to here. Um, I just seen an article recently. There was 456 homeless that they had documented in, in this area of Collin County. Wow. And stuff out of that, I think it was, I couldn't believe it. Now, it is like something you see in the movies. You'll see pieces of it driving, but I, 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 and I evolved into this. I would go out at light and just start ministering because a lot of them are mental health. A lot of them, you know, you, you see a few of them on the streets. A lot of them are your hustlers. Okay. 
the real homeless you don't see like that. They are they're just out wandering around and stuff like that. Just this morning, I'll give you an example. I just walked through the park. I got two of them sleeping in the bathroom that I pray for. Okay. Uh, I think both of them two I haven't met. I mean, it's like every time I go out, Alan, then I go. You, you go out. You go out pretty I, much every day, right? Because the other day we I, spoke and you were, you were sitting in a park well, bench. Yes. What I do is I go out six days a week. I go out an hour before light. And stuff, and usually three hours of that intensity don't sound like a lot, but it is intense because you're in many different settings there and stuff. And so what I'll do is walk around, and I'm and I don't drive, okay. And the reason I don't drive is for one, usually someone's going to ask me to take them somewhere, and usually they can get where they if they need to get somewhere, they can usually get there. That's not a problem, but really, so I can get in these back alleys and in these crevices where the true homeless are. Mm. Good example. I walk over to the big Christian church right here by the park of Hagger park, which you would know where that is. Yeah, over. Yeah. There's people literally just sleeping around the church. Mm. Okay. Stuck in the little stairways and stuff like that. So what I do is as crazy as it sounds and it ain't crazy. I'm actually fathered. I'll come in and I'll see ones I see and I'll, I'll make sure they're warm. And a lot of them, they're, they got the warming station, but the warming station, the Salvation Army, which which William Booth and Catherine Booth would roll over, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, okay? I know. I know. With, but it's got to be 30, 32 or below for them to open that up. Now, I understand it's a heavy thing. Okay. But. Anyway, so it was open last night. So you're, I mean, excuse, it was people in it last night. So you can imagine what I'm seeing just today. Yeah. And so when they bring the buses from there, it's like something you see in the movies. It is people walking around just disoriented. Okay. It's, it's unbelievable. So what the Lord's called me to do is come in and pastor them. Hmm. Okay. And what I mean by that is I love on them. Okay, I come in if, if they need to get some of them are shivering and they, they're falling out and whatever. Okay, but mainly come in and bring in hope to them. Okay, bringing the gospel to them, going in. I pray that Jeremiah 29 11 over every one of them. But where, where, and I learned this in street ministry back when I told you we led all the teenagers to the Lord, is consistency. They see me over and over and over. And now what's happened is relationships are getting developed. Once the relationship gets developed, I can start coming in and talking stuff that because of their shame and guilt, I had two homosexuals I just ran into this morning. Okay, I ran into them one other time. He gets on my butt when he even hears I'm a Christian. Yeah. Okay, well, I just kind of, you know, and that's something you see a lot in homosexual. I mean, just a, a rage almost. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I, I said, look, I said, I just want to pray for you. And this was the first time, okay, a couple of weeks ago. He, he says, my dad was a minister, a Church of Christ minister. And I, and I just started talking to him. He starts crying. Now, this was the first meeting. He said, I don't know why I'm crying. I was not bringing a repentance message to him. Mm. Now, listen to me. I know a repentance message. I've been in circles with gangs, you name it. Okay? Yeah. Well, I just ran to him again this morning. And he was, he was blurry on our mind. I said, your dad's a church of Christ minister. 
But what he said to me when he was there laying on that ground the first time in the cold, okay, a little cubby hole, he said, it reminds me of my dad. Hmm. So the lights are coming on. Okay, the Lord is showing me that these people have nobody. They don't have no parents. They don't have nobody. Yeah. So what he's called me to do is come in and father them and cover them where they feel secure. If they feel secure, I can talk to them then. And I can come in and see what's what in that. So there's so many great resources here. Now, I believe this. Plano is desperate, okay? I believe the Lord's going to raise up a true mission here. Now, a true mm. mission here is, to me is a 24-7 day. Yeah. It's a thing that that is done, and you have to do it under a church. The reason is then you don't get under all the regs. Yeah. I've seen it done once before and stuff, but where you can come in on a merit-type system and them ones that won't help, that are mental health, and give them a safe place and then resource them or there's so, I mean, this place is just full of resources, but everything's hit and miss. Yeah. And when you get caught in that, that dilemma, it's almost impossible. How do you go get a job when you can't take a shower? Yeah. How do you, 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 you I mean, there's so much involved. So what I'm seeing is a way of taking what we've done for years and raising up servant leaderships through the drug and alcohol programs is raising up, believe it or not, people that are called of God that are in them streets and come in and grow them. We're talking about two or three year process. We're not talking about you, you get me, but coming yeah. in Lord has given me a vision for that. But the only way it can be done is it's going to be connected with the city. Yeah. Not run, but I've got to have the police and they're so desperate right now. I think they're crying out for answers. So I'm doing that. And then I'll at nine o'clock, I'll come in and take me a break and drink some coffee, do any administrative stuff I got to do. And then I'll go hit the Hispanic district. That's right down here that you would know of off of Jupiter. Yeah. And, and stuff. Now that's different. Culture's different. They're not out in the streets. You've got, what I'm doing is I'm winning shop owners over yeah. like butcher stores, butcher areas or little grocery stores. And I'm connecting and I'm showing them Costa Rica. Bingo. So yeah, what that's the amazing thing to me is just how simple it is. There's so many people who are so afraid to do street ministry of any kind because they think, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And the truth is, it's really just go out and just talk to people. It's very simple. And then through that relationship, you can start talking to them about Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Man. Well, Katie, I don't know. Do you have anything that you wanted to ask or, or, um, or add? No, I'm just really thankful to hear your story. I think it's incredible and I'm, I'm blown away. I think it's amazing what God's been doing. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. And I commend y'all keep doing what y'all are doing. I hear nothing but just great stuff that's yeah. happening. Lord's moving right now. Can I make a comment real quick? That's Absolutely. You know, Alan, you said something, your heart for crying out for revival. And I've studied this. I said, Lord, you moved with Catherine Coleman this way, Wigglesworth this way. I mean, you can go through the script all the way. I mean, just people of God that we know, Lake. But what I realize is every one of them major moves of God that took place, 
were equivalent to what the needs were at that particular time. And our needs yeah. of our country are so different because of mental health. When I say mental health, because of psychology and all these different things that people have went through, that we're going to have to see a revival that's equivalent to what's going on out here. Yeah. And I think what I've had, had to do is recondition my mind to not look at a certain revival, but see the heart of the revival. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because I have a tendency to see this and how it moved there. And you know, it was of God, whether it was Wesley, whatever. And what I realized, it's going to take a unique um, move of the Holy Spirit to take everything that's going on. And I'm going to tell you something. COVID's got people. I, I never hear people tell me that they don't believe in the Bible no more. Now, I know what I mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. But you still, when I do street ministry, 20% would say that 80 would say, and you would have probably 40 that would almost scoff at you. Yeah. There's an underlining fear of God out here, or fear that's yeah. pushing people to ask questions that I've never seen such a time for what your heart is crying out for with revival. Mm. But we've got to get out of the four walls and we've got to get out there with the people. That's right. And we've got Allow the Holy Spirit to teach us because this is not going to be like any other revival. No better, no worse. Don't get me wrong how I say that. In other words, it's it's not, but it's going to have to be unique by the yeah. Holy Spirit for the needs that are at hand now. Yeah. And that's what I'm learning out here on these streets, you know, and seeing that that and through prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something whenever I, I, I'm going to try to get him on the podcast as well. But I had a conversation with Winky Prattney, yes. uh, which you and I talked a little bit about. I heard that. Made me think of what I just said to you. Yeah, because Winky, he was telling me because I, I love Leonard Ravenhill and he was talking because he, yeah. was, he was neighbors with Leonard Ravenhill. And he, wow. he said Leonard Ravenhill, he died depressed. He was sad because his whole life he had wanted that first or second great awakening kind of revival to sweep the United States and, and England where he was from. And instead, it was the Pentecostal movement. He grew up during the Pentecostal movement rather than those great awakenings. And he was disappointed because it was a totally different type of move of God than what the great awakenings were. The great awakenings were all about repentance and all about coming back to Jesus, while the Pentecostal movement was about going deeper with God. And then you had the healing movement in the 40s and 50s, and that was all about the power of God. And uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he lived through all of that, and he he thought that it was less than what had happened in the Great Awakenings. But it was just God, God, like you said, working with the people group that he was in, with the culture that he's in, and the needs of those days. And and because of that, Leonard Ravenhill, sadly, he was depressed because he thought God didn't do the thing that I want. I thought he was going to do. But God was moving; He just couldn't see it. And I think you're right. That's that's a danger that any one of us can fall into, especially those of us who are students of revival, because we'll look at things like the Welsh revival or Azusa Street, and we'll say, "That's what I want." But maybe God wants to do something entirely yeah. different from that. Yes, yes. And I think Leonard, with with his black and white repentance, Finney, Finney type personality, we want to yeah. see things come that fit into that. Yeah. I, God's done, Alan, because I do believe we're in the last days. I mean, I know everyone, but it, it just the, the, it's a game changer out there now with everything happening. Yeah. 
I believe that God's wanting us to put a piece of all them together in our hearts and be flexible to the Holy Spirit at any given time. Because, see, I battle. When I, no, don't get me wrong. Okay, I know repentance. I preach repentance. Okay, I've been in them prisons where repentance needs to be preached at certain times or wherever. And like when I was with them two gentlemen, this, this morning, homosexuals, I battled. I said, Lord, am I compromising your word? But the Lord showed me through that. When he just started crying, he said, Scott, he said, I called you to love this situation right now. Look at the power of my Holy Spirit movement. To the yeah. point that this man's breaking down. And what he's showing me is, is we're going to have to be flexible to move into repentance message. We're going to move into a healing, laying hand, whatever it is. Yeah. So I think what the, the gifting we have is to be able to study where they couldn't back then yeah. get these pieces together. But come in and use them as a smorgasbord to allow the Holy Spirit to take today what he wants to do with our generation of, of, of ministers out there. That's right. Well, Scott, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate yeah, your time well. and for you joining us. Would you please pray uh, for the viewers and the listeners and just bless them, pray for them before yeah. we, to close us out here? Yes, yes. Father, we thank you, Lord. And I, I thank you that, Lord, we're alive in this day and this time. And, but, Lord, we need wisdom, Lord. We need direction, Lord. Father, things are so different out here that what anyone has ever experienced, but your Holy Spirit knows and your spirit knows. So we need you to teach us. We need to learn, Lord, your ways in this situation that we can see your Holy Spirit move, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are listening, Lord. Father, I, I, I think of the scripture. There's many out there that are that are toiling or tired. And, and Lord, I, I, the scripture in 2 Chronicles 15, 7, it says, be strong and don't let your hands grow weak or grow slack for your work will be rewarded. Lord, I pray that for some of the listeners now that just need to hear that more. But Father, I pray, Lord, whatever it may be out here, Lord. And Father, it's wisdom. It needs to be in a situation, Lord. If it's repentance, Lord, I pray. Lord, if it's healing, Lord, for sickness, Lord, I pray, Lord, now in the name of Jesus that that person be healed, Lord. But Father, I pray that as as me and Alan and Katie, we sit here and as ministers of the gospel, Lord, Father, we need wisdom. We need discernment. We ask that, Lord, we know the harvest field is plentiful and the workers are few, but Lord, we're out here and Lord, we need you to guide us and lead us, Lord. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for Alan and the testimony he is to me, Lord. Father, to see, Lord. Lord, it's easy for me to know I need God, Lord, but to see someone like Alan that's so committed, Lord, and how he found you in them fields, just going as a faithful person to visit a mission field, Lord. I thank you for that, Lord. I ask that you cover his family. Lord, I ask that you would give him wisdom beyond his years, Lord, to Father, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to raise up disciples, Lord, that'll do the same. So, Lord, I thank you for this. And I just thank you for this day, Lord, that you created for us to be able to operate in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Katie. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be chatting. And uh, thank you for praying. And I will talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Have a good afternoon. You too.